He will never abandon you to the emotion of the moment. He will never give up on you or abandon you or walk away from you. Whatever your sin, however far you have wandered, there is no place so dark he cannot reach you and begins to prune and transform because he is deeply in love with you. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Today we are continuing our series of studies in the New Testament book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, can you turn to Romans chapter 11, please? And we're breaking into chapter 11 at verse 17 and reading through to the end of verse 24. And the subtitle for the passage is Ingrafted Branches. You'll find it on page 1762 of the Church Bible, page 1762. It's a fairly complicated passage, so let me give you a word or two by way of introduction this morning. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 and Romans chapter 11 has been particularly addressing folks with a Jewish background, and you'll hear me talk about that in a moment or two, but he often, but not only does he address those with a Jewish background, he talks about what it means to be engrafted into Christ. And we'll talk about that uh, in our study this morning as well. And then the second major theme he draws out in this passage is that of perseverance, to keep going. So with that, by way of an introduction, uh, be patient with me, please, as we work our way through Romans 11, beginning at verse 17. And he writes these words, If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will see then Branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you provided that you continue in this kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their their own olive tree. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. Allow me begin to begin this morning, please, on welcome to the Thomas family. Great to have you here for baptism this morning. We're delighted. Let me begin with an illustration I used about four or five years ago. Uh, Ruth and I were having uh, dinner with a couple that we didn't know that well at that stage. We'll become uh, friends with them now. 
And when we met for the first time, we were having dinner together and just chatting and getting a sense of who's who, and we talked about where they grew up and where they went to school and who their parents were, all the kind of things that one does around a southern dining table. Uh, it's, it's important to establish your pedigree and get all of that in place. And on the wall was a particularly striking picture, and I said at one point, and who is uh, who's the photograph of? And there was silence. Nothing. And I thought, okay, there's obviously a story here. So I persisted a little, and I said, well, tell me, it's a striking image. And the lady of the house smiled, looked at her husband, he smiled back, and they said, well, it's uh, our grandparents. And I said, oh, and did you know them well? And she said, well, actually, we didn't know them well. Grandmother died when uh, my sister and I were 11 or 12, around 13, something like that. We didn't know her well. Uh, grandfather, we knew a little better. Uh, and a couple of years ago, my mother gave us this picture uh, to remember them because we had no real image and didn't have too many photographs either. And then there was more silence. And I said, okay, there's clearly a story here. What is the story? And this is the story. When the girls, two sisters, got into their early 30s, they asked their parent for a photograph of grandmother and grandfather, and they couldn't find one. And they looked around and looked around. They did one or two of grandfather, but not of grandmother. And then Christmas that year, mum presented both girls with photograph of grandparents, this wonderfully hand-carved uh, wooden frame, and it was now hanging on the wall. And she went on to tell me this. It was wonderful and beautiful. The only problem was, it wasn't my grandmother. <laughs> she said, we never had this conversation with my mother, but Six months later, my sister and I were having lunch in Cracker Barrel, and we're just talking and catching up with each other, and we're looking around at all of the old-time uh, implements. <laughs> and there on the wall was a photograph of grandmother and grandfather. <laughs> and they looked at each other and said, this is amazing. Of all the photographs to have in the wall, it's her grandparents. That's incredible. And they, yeah, that's wonderful. And then the penny dropped. And they left that cracker barrel and drove to another. And sure enough, on the wall was grandmother and grandfather. They visited a third in the same experience. And mum was wanting to give them something to remember grandmother by. The man looked very similar to grandfather. There's no way of knowing how similar the, the, the lady was. But my point in telling you that is this, that behind every life there is a story. Each time God works in our lives, there is a context. He never operates in a vacuum. And in Romans chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, God sets through the Apostle Paul the context of His sovereign redeeming purposes for humanity. And if you were with us last Sunday morning, you will remember we spoke at some length about folks from a Jewish background. We're going to do it again this morning, but not quite as detailed, for this reason, that when Paul writes in verse 11, 
excuse me, verse 17, if some of the branches have been broken off, and though you, a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, you now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Now, let me try and break that down. What Paul is saying is this, that for centuries, the people with a Jewish background and heritage were known as God's chosen people. And the Scriptures in the Old Testament certainly describe them that way, that God moved in and through and blessed and encouraged His own people in a remarkable way. There's just no question. And in chapters 10 and again in chapter 11, God is saying to those with a Jewish background, think of the benefits you had growing up in a Jewish household, where prayer was regularly participated in. Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturday morning, the Sabbath day, you took seriously. You have come to know the Old Testament prophets. You understand the law, the Torah. You understand the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. You have all of the activities of religious observance. That should never be minimized or somehow marginalized. And that's what he's been saying in chapters 10 and 11. Now, hold that picture and allow me to contemporize it for us. If he was writing to us today, he might, if the Apostle Paul was writing, he might say this, those of you who were brought up actively involved in the Methodist church, that was a good thing. Those of you who have Presbyterian grandmothers, that's a good thing. Those of you who had uncles and aunts who were Pentecostals, that's a good thing. Those of you who come from a strong Baptist background, that's a good thing. All important, never to be minimized or marginalized, but please understand this, all of the religious observance point in one direction, and they point to Christ and they point to what it means to have a personal, intimate, profound, growing relationship with Him. And if you haven't gone that extra step, there is a world of a difference between religious observance and a living, authentic, life-transforming faith a world of a difference. And that's what Paul's been writing of in Romans chapter 10 and 11. And as we come to verse 17, this is what he says. He says, if some of the branches have been broken off, and he's now talking historically about those with a Jewish background. And he says, some of them have turned from the gospel. Some of them have refused to believe in Christ, and they've turned their back on him, and they have treated with contempt the things of God. And folks, please hear me, Today, we are saying not just people with a Jewish background, but anyone with a religious background is very different from a genuine living faith. And this is the point he's saying. If some of you with a religious background have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, you now share in the nourishing sap from the oil. Now, let me explain. What he's talking about here is this religious observance, upbringing, good, healthy, but it's not everything. 
There comes that point in your life when you need to take that step of commitment and faith and trust in Him and move to the personal experience with Him. You've heard me say it a dozen times. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That's what's going on here. And now he's saying, when you come into a living relationship with Christ, He grafts you in. You become part and parcel of the people of God, and He nourishes you, and He feeds you, and He encourages you to grow because you are now connected to the main what? The main plant itself. You're drawing from the roots. Now, lest I've been unclear, let me illustrate it this way. And those of you with gardening in your background, please forgive me because I'm not a gardener. My horticultural experience is extremely limited. Uh, so, let me try and illustrate it this way. When you have, and some of us, of course, have in our gardens fruit trees, and you want to establish a new branch on that fruit tree, a tree surgeon will come along and he'll make an incision into the main trunk or the main limb. He will cut into it and then take a piece of another fruit tree, eight or ten inches in length, not terribly long, about the size of what you would call a ruler. He would then cut at an angle the other end and then insert it into the main trunk itself. He will then put compound uh, around it, grafting compound, and then he will physically bind that up with either a bandage-like substance or sometimes even electrical tape. And electrical tape works particularly well because of the elasticity, and it allows it to move as the new branch becomes what? Connected to the main limb. And over the next few days, weeks, months, it begins to become one with the main tree, and it grows and develops and blossoms. And that's the picture Paul is making here. He's saying, when you are grafted into Christ, you no longer survive on your own. You are drawing from Him and His love and His care. And if I can take the analogy a step further, He binds you to Himself with love and grace and enables you to grow. That's what Paul is saying here. And then he goes on and he says, but don't boast about this over other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. And notice what else he then adds. He says this, you will say that branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. And Paul says, granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. But you stand by faith. And that's where I want to take up the next section in our study this morning. You stand by faith. Now, what does that mean? Hold one finger in Romans 11, and we almost never do this on a Sunday morning, so please be patient with me, and flick back to John's Gospel, John chapter 15. It's a well-known passage, and we're just going to touch on the first three verses of John 15, and I trust it will be self-evident when you turn to it, because John 15 takes place the night before the death of Christ. It takes place in the upper room. This is the Last Supper. And as Jesus looks around that table, think of all of the things He could have said the night before He died. 
And this is what he chose to say. Chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, and he's speaking to the disciples, because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. And no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So, what is he saying? He is saying this, that my Father is the gardener. And once you have been grafted into the people of God, and once you begin to grow and develop, once you begin to apply your faith day by day, once you begin to understand the wonder and the beauty of what it means to have a living relationship with Christ, and you grow and develop, there will be seasons, there may be periods or days when God begins to work in your life, and He takes His pruning knife, and He begins to prune away the bark that is dead, the vine that's no longer producing, and He prunes away in order to produce more fruit. Now, hold that picture in your mind. Let me use another illustration, and then we'll come back to follow up from John before we return to Romans. About 15, 17 years ago now, very popular on Scottish television was a program called Ground Force. And Ground Force was one of those reality television programs where a family could contact the BBC, they would turn up, have a look at your garden, and renovate the garden entirely over a three-day period. But here was the trick, and the trick was this, that usually adult sons and daughters would contact the program makers and say, mum and dad are getting up in years. They just don't have the stamina and energy they once had. Their garden is too much for them. And quite honestly, it's become dilapidated. It's really falling apart and it needs some work. And they would organize with the adult sons and daughters to send their parents away for a long weekend somewhere as a surprise for a birthday or an anniversary. And of course, the parents left home or driven to the train station, and they would go off for two or three days having a wonderful time. And as soon as they had left and were on their way to the railway station, in would arrive a crew of workers, gardeners, and construction experts. And they would begin by doing this. The first implement that arrived was a dumpster, and sometimes two, because the three gardeners would arrive. They would bring a, crew of, a construction crew with them. The family and friends and neighbors would all gather around, and sometimes there was 50 to 55 people working in the same garden. And the organizer, the manager of the project, he had the hardest job because when they arrived, they would clear away everything. Old driveways, old paving stones, hedges, bushes, trees, a lawn. They would uplift everything and start from scratch. And it would usually take the first day and a half of the three days to clean everything off, put it into endless dumpsters. The dumpsters would go away, and then, of course, the material would start arriving. 
and they would put down an entirely new lawn. They would then plant low-maintenance shrubs and bushes. They would put in new fence posts and put up new fence. They would build a gazebo or a Japanese water fountain, and it was absolutely spectacular. And the climax of the program was this, that when mum and dad arrived home from their three days away, they would be met by sons and daughters in the driveway. Now, those of you who are parents know that when your sons and daughters meet you in the driveway, there's something going on. And they would arrive, and you would see them being a little suspicious. The camera was usually upstairs, hidden, and would be focusing through the bedroom window or in a neighbor's house. Uh, and they'd be a little sheepish and not quite sure what was going on. And they said, did you have a good weekend? Yes, it was wonderful. And they would move towards the house, and the sons and daughters would stand in their way. And eventually, they would say, okay, what's going on? And then they would take them round the side of the house, walk them into the back garden area, and the response was almost always the same. They would just stand there, looking, trying to drink it in, and they would often say the same thing. We, we can't believe this. And mom, of course, would become teary, and she would be crying with happiness, and dad would just shake his head and think, how is this even remotely possible? And the point is this, they had become so used to living with what was, they couldn't even begin to imagine what life could be like. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans. That's what Jesus is articulating that last night. When God begins to go to work and He prunes the parts of our lives that are not producing fruit, the sin that besets us, the anger, the gossip, the complaining, the detachment, the lack of love and concern and grace for others, he begins to prune and prune deeply, and our experience is this, Father, please stop. That's painful. It's hurting. And please remember who was saying it in John 15, when Jesus said, my Father is the gardener, and he will prune away those parts that are not producing fruit. Remember where he was going. He was going in the next couple of hours to Gethsemane, of all places, Gethsemane, where he wept so intently, and the sweat became like blood. And he understood what it would mean for his father of all people to prune him and prune him deeply and deal with the sin of the world. That's what was going on in Gethsemane. His father, the gardener, was at work in his life. And when he brings seasons and moments into our lives and he prunes deeply and we are praying, Father, we cannot take any more. We can't stand this. We don't understand what you are doing. Why are you doing this? Please remember that behind every life is a story and a context. And he is making you more Christ-like day by day by day, by granting you patience, by forcing you 
to prayer by making you dependent on Him and Him alone. And He is pruning and pruning and pruning, and He's pruning for our own good and His glory. That's what's going on here. And that's why Paul says, when you are engrafted into Christ, it's just the beginning. Because when you grow and develop and are nourished and flourish, God is at work. That's the point he's making. And when he is at work in your life, it is not because you have a Jewish background or a Methodist upbringing or a grandparent was a Presbyterian. He's doing it in order to make you more Christ-like. That's the point. And when he looks at you, he sees what you do not see he sees one of his children, magnificent, beautiful, spectacular, grafted into him, shaped and fashioned by him to be more Christ-like. And throughout both of these passages, both John and again in Romans, what is he saying? Persevere. Keep going. Remain in me. Don't give up. And when we think of persevering, we tend to think of all that we do in terms of prayer and Scripture reading and drawing closer to Him and obedience and listening and sensitive to all that He's doing. But please understand there's another side to the same coin of perseverance, and it's this. He perseveres, and He continues to prune intentionally and deeply, and much longer than we think is necessary, because He is deeply in love with you, and He cares for you with an everlasting love, and He will never leave you as you are, and He utterly refuses to give up on you. And please, beloved, hear this. When He works at such a level that is radical surgery, going deep, He will never abandon you to the emotion of the moment. He will never abandon you to the emotion of the moment. He will never give up on you or abandon you or walk away from you. Whatever your sin, however far you have wandered, there is no place so dark He cannot reach you and begins to prune and transform because He is deeply in love with you. And please understand, as I close this morning, what we said five minutes ago, that the people, when they see their garden for the first time, cannot believe it's possible because they have become so used to the way it is. You want to stay with the way it is? Or are you ready for grace that prunes and brings nourishment and growth and healthy relationship with Him? Because that's His story. That's His purpose. So that we might be more Christ-like. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. Thank you that you graft us into Christ 
Those of us who are wild and far from you now belong to you and we stand by faith this morning knowing that whenever you prune us, refine us and fashion us, you do so in order that we might know you in a fuller, richer, deeper way. Father, may that be your experience this week. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online.